welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast which discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Kathy Reed, and today I am joined by Robin Holdaway. I said your last name right? I did. I didn't even check before I said it, but it was right. Robin Holdaway, that's absolutely right. Absolutely. Um, I had a manager that used to say Holdaway from face, <laughs> and that is how my name has forever been thus. <laughs> Indeed. Robin is a non-binary actor who trained at GSA, graduating in 2016, where they were also a finalist for the Alan Bates Award. Their credits include Orlando, The Queer Element, King Lear, Doctors, Casualty and Macbeth, to name but a few. And we are thrilled to have them on the podcast today. How are you? I'm okay. I've got a really rotten cold, but otherwise (laughs) I am fine. I'm very excited to be here. We've been trying to get this one in for a while, months, yeah. a few months. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here in this lovely place Amazing. that I have never been to <laughs> before. Absolutely. Yeah, it was kind of a, Robin, are you free on this day? Can we do an interview? And we got it in. So amazing. So we always start with a word association game. Okay. So just the first thing that comes into your head, don't worry about it. All right. Can be anything, literally anything. It's all right. I'm just getting um, skyfall flashbacks of whatever he does in that. Or he's just sort of walks out of the interview. No. Let's try it. It'll all be right. fun. Let's go. Guilford. Uh, home. The Piccadilly line. Stressful. Greg sausage rolls. Gluten intolerant. Oh, no. Shakespeare. Yay. New writing. Cool. Traveling. Uh, life. Pizza. Yes. Chocolate buttons. Yes. Buttons, buttons, buttons. <laughs> Drama school. Done. Done? Oh. Yeah. That's the first thing that came into your head when you thought drama school, done. Yes. I think that the more surprising one for me was Guildford Home. Guildford's never been my home. I grew up in Redhill and now I live in London. Yeah. So that was, that was weird. Um, good <laughs> Lord. Okay. Well, that's, that's on the therapy list. That's fine. <laughs> no, um, that's okay. I mean, yeah, drama school is done. It's something that I did, and I spent a long time... So I went to GSA for three years, but I went to the Brit School for four years before that, so I spent a lot of time in training. And for me, it is something that I have now done, but not. I have finished drama school, but I have not finished training, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. I think people say, like, you never really finish training. You always, no. always need to learn some more. So, so Robin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Can you tell us where your involvement with the arts started? With the arts in general? Um, so I think I've told this story. I went on the 98% just to shout out for them. So if they've heard that podcast, you might hear the story again. So when I was um, about four, five or six, you know, in the small, small years, I started doing sort of the singing, dancing, acting stuff, the local church hall drama school group. And I was hooked. I loved doing the musical theatre stuff. My brother went to stagecoach and I went to stagecoach. I'm one of those people. I was very, very fortunate growing up that I could. Um, I feel very, very, I'm very aware of my privilege in that sense. And that was kind of the musical theatre. But actually, the biggest one for me was youth theatre. I joined my local youth theatre when I was seven. And the director was incredible. She never talked to age, she talked to ability. And so we were doing like Brecht and Arto when we were like 11. And it was great, but it was great because it was appropriate. Like, um, shout out, shout out to Beth Wood, the incredible, incredible lady. And if you've ever been taught by her, you'll, you'll know because she's just amazing. And she is one of the most giving individuals I've ever met. And she's a big believer in inclusivity in the arts and things like that. She's run, running Prospero Theatre Company at the moment. But um, so I was in youth theatre and I always loved acting. Acting was kind of the place. I, I loved musicals. I loved singing. I always said I didn't think I had a very good voice, but I enjoyed doing it. So it was other people's problem. So I was involved in the arts, as it were, 
from quite a young age. My family aren't. Like, my brother went stagecoach more, I think, because my mum thought he was needed some grace. And he can still do a step or change, which we discovered at the weekend. Um, that was fun. She's trying to imitate my niece as she did all her dance moves. But as I grew up, I then I went to Brit when I was 14. So I always knew I, I loved acting. I always knew that performing arts was where I was going to go. I wanted to play Alphaba because I was born in 93 and yep. anyone of that era wanted to play Alphaba. You I wanted. did too. <laughs> it's the right way. And what I'm enjoying right now is everyone wants Adina Menzel's career because now as well, she's now Elsa. And you're like, <laughs> well done you. Just well done her. <laughs> so I went through Brit and then I had a couple of gap years and I kind of worked out a little bit about who I was and what I wanted to do. And for various reasons, I moved away from musical theatre and I auditioned for drama school, lots of drama schools. Um... I didn't get into any the first time I auditioned, partly because I was trying to make that transition. Oh, lots of words about transitions. Uh, from musical theatre to acting. And if I, I look back and I think all the things I would have done differently, but, you know, and I was convinced I wanted to go to Bristol Old Vic. That was my dream school. And I didn't get in. I've never gone in. I've been shortlisted multiple times, but, you know, a little shout out to that. But <laughs> actually, I never got in. And GSA was a school that when I went there, I did the audition process and their notes made me better. And I was really, I was in two minds about going to GSA because they are so known as a musical theatre school and I wanted to move away from that. And they're very, very caring as a school and very ensemble focused, which is lovely in so many ways. It's like basically the opposite of drama centre for anyone who's, you know, looking at all the drama schools. And it, it never quite felt like the right fit but I realised that's partly my bias because the best drama school for you is the one that trains you and the one that you gain you gain from it what, what you choose to gain. Like, no, I, I didn't go to Rada or Bristol or Vic or anything. I went to GSA, still a fantastic school. And I had to almost swallow my ego, which wasn't helping me, and remember that, no, I, I, it doesn't matter if you train or not. Mm. What matters is who you are as an actor, and GSA got me to that point, so... I left there and now I've been in the industry since. And you asked a short question. I gave a ridiculously long answer. No, no, no. We, we, we love the answer. We love to just get a very well-rounded idea um, of our guests and their background. So um, as I mentioned in the intro, you are non-binary. And the reason that I mentioned that is because you are the first non-binary actor that we have had on the podcast Yay. represent. Can you explain to us and to our listeners what being non-binary means to you? I can explain what it means to me. Wonderful. Uh, addition there because being non-binary can mean many different things to many different people so for some people it's an umbrella term so it basically encompasses a gender other than male or female for some people it is their specific term so it can be an umbrella term or it can be your own unique identity so some people might say that non-binary and actually identify as something like gender queer or gender fluid and for ages I sort of said no I'm gender queer I'm I just I'm queer and if people ask me my identity very quickly I just say I'm queer I'm I am not the norm and whatever the norm is mm. So it kind of, it's an ever-growing, ever-developing thing for me. Your identity is, I don't think, ever a fixed thing. It's, and each, linguistics is, I think, very important in terms of identity because someone who feels they are gender fluid and someone else who feels they are gender queer, two people might actually mean very similar things or they can mean completely different things. To me, being non-binary just means that I don't identify as male or female. I'm aware of my body. I'm aware I'm assigned female at birth. So if you hear the term AFAB or um, AMAB, sorry, I had a moment of forgetting how the alphabet worked. Um, <laughs> so I'm assigned female at birth. I do have dysphoria about my body, but I'm quite androgynous. So my physical dysphoria is something I try and manage with things like fitness, with binding, 
uh, not currently with hormones or with surgery, but I've never said never, and maybe that's a journey I'm taking in future, but we're sort of seeing where we go. So it means that my identity, in many ways for me, isn't defined by my gender. I have never felt female. I've never felt male either. Mm. I feel more male than female, but more feminine than masculine. There's a very odd sensation of trying to explain that I'm not a butch individual in any way or form, <laughs> but I'm also just not feminine as I was always described, it's like you're you're just camp. You're like a camp, and I'm like, okay, that's that's fine. Um, so on a on a really sort of clinical level, I think non-binary means that I tend to prefer they them pronouns. Although I do understand that pronouns are a big topic, and for some people they are vitally important. And I think if someone tells you their pronouns and wants you to respect their pronouns, that's a massive thing for them, and you should do your best to honour that. There are always going to be mistakes. In the same way, you'll still call people by their maiden name when they're married, things like that. It's okay, but try your best. Yeah. For me, my pronouns I, are literally that. They are preferred. I understand that I'm in a world where if someone looks at me and says she, her, or he, him, that's how they see me in their world. And if I say to them, please, could you use they, them, and then they continue not to, then it's a bit like, if you're deliberately denying my identity, then we have a bigger problem. But it's not something that is so bad for me. Sorry, I've completely explained this very poorly, I fear. No, no, no. But um, it's a very difficult thing to explain and, and to create a summary of because we live in a world where gender, as we, we mentioned earlier before the interview we were chatting, and gender and the idea of gender identity is actually a relatively new phenomenon. We've always, I mean, people always have a concept of what the bodies are doing, the different sexes and male, female, and then obviously intersex and people with different chromosomes and people with different things that go on there. But if you look in different cultures... It's like the Maori culture or things in, you know, India, Pakistan, things that are outside of our very Western world bubble. There are some incredible examples of gender not being a binary system. So to say one is non-binary is almost to, to simply say, I do not see myself as part of the gender binary as it currently exists in the world. I think that was a wonderful, eloquent answer. I loved that. And, and that's why I said, what does being non-binary mean to you? Because I think that as this comes more to the, the forefront and obviously social media, we see we see a lot more of that and people expressing themselves in different ways. It's really important to know that it is different for other people and that to to just, I, I think maybe to just ask if you're if you're unsure. So if if you ask someone's preferred pronouns or you, mis, you misgender them and you just need to just, I yeah, I think a really good thing is normalising asking preferred pronouns at the beginning of things. You say, what's your name? What's your preferred pronouns? I did this at a workshop I taught recently and I forget, because I've been working a lot with TVC, um, which is the Trans Voices company or Trans Voices Cabaret, um, wonderful group of people, and I've been working a lot with trans and NB people. Asking someone's preferred pronouns is just a natural thing you do. Or, you know, people have got badges. I'm, I keep joking. I, I teach fitness and I keep saying I cannot be bothered to come out to every class I teach because I cover mostly. So at some point I'm just going to get loads of vests that say they, they're more just queer or just mm -hmm. things that kind of... Because when you've got 45 minutes to teach somebody how to swing a kettlebell around, you don't always say that. But if you can normalise, you know when you're working in a rehearsal room or in life or, you know, you get somebody new at work, hi, what's your name, what's your preferred pronouns? It almost all comes off because we can't assume. And we can talk a lot about identity and where a lot of the negative bounce back of, of looking at trans and non-binary people comes in society. But I think there are some cisgendered people, so cisgender is to be the same, to identify as the same gender as the sex you were assigned at birth. It's not an insult. It is a descriptive word. And it is, but it's this whole thing of um, 
people talk a lot about things like people not liking being called a white person, well, you are, or being called even, even a man, like, because often cisgendered white heterosexual males are considered the default. There's a comedian who talks about how, well, you have a taste of being not the default. Mm. And I think for a lot of people hearing cisgender, they take it as an insult, and it really isn't. In the same way someone asking you preferred, your preferred pronouns isn't saying you look like something else mm. or you're weird or something. It's just literally going, I want to respect the identities of everyone in the room, and maybe you are male, you look very, very male, you've got massive beard or hulking you work out at the gym you know you know you're a man that's great but the guy sat next to you might be mid-transition and feel really nervous and if you turn around and say my pronouns are he him and the next guy gets to say my pronouns are he him or they them or she her or these ear or whatever your pronouns are you allow the space to open and you allow people to be authentically themselves without having to other themselves yeah. without having to be the one that says actually guys my preferred pronouns are this because often what happens to me people expect you to come out and be like no you use the wrong pronouns how dare you my pronouns are they that's not what happens generally what happens is someone says she and I mutter they under my breath mm. and this happens a lot and uh I don't like correcting people no one does no one likes to be in the position of going actually you got that wrong because it creates drama mm -hmm. and there's quite enough drama in our lives Absolutely. it's kind of like when someone gets your, your name wrong as well. Like if someone gets your name wrong in a conversation, you're like, oh, that's not quite my name. Like I often get Katie rather than Kathy. And I'm, someone that, I'm like, I'm really sorry, my name's Kathy. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. But like, if they continue to do it, you're like, come on guys. So that, that's, that's kind of, that's how I can relate to, relate to that. Or imagine if, um, just imagine if someone used the wrong pronoun for you repeatedly. Yeah. If someone's just like to this big hulking Jap that we've talked about, just madam all the time. Yeah. I'm sorry, miss, are you okay? And it's just jarring and it's really, frustrating and yeah it's like if somebody imagine you you had somebody who you knew had a crush on you and you've just got married and they continue to call you by your your maiden name and your married name I think part of you goes is that deliberate and you start worrying about motive mm -hmm. and from nine times out of ten we know it's it's not malicious mm -hmm. nine times out of ten it's either not being used to it or forgetting or being that absolutely human. And so most of the time, and I can't speak for everyone, but if you just, if you use someone's pronouns incorrectly, just sorry, I used the wrong pronoun, uh, or just sorry and correct yourself and move on. Don't make a big song and dance about it, you know. And likewise, don't, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to, I know you don't. Because then what you're doing is you're asking them to, to forgive you. You're looking for forgiveness. And actually, people don't have to forgive you. People could turn around and say, good, I'm glad you're sorry. My pronouns are they, them. Now, I know that can sound jarring and unpleasant, but there are going to be people who, for whom that is the way they go. And remember, if you do something wrong, you've done something wrong, but that's okay. Yeah. Own it. And just know that no one is thinking you're a horrendous person because of it. Absolutely. You're just making a mistake. Yeah, completely. So what have your experiences been with mental health growing up? Mm -hmm. uh, mental health and I, we, we know each other well. So um, I was in the odd position as a child. I was a chubby kid. Um, I think many people were. Yeah, oh yeah, I was I would say chubby. I was quite overweight as a child. And um, I wasn't very good at sports. I liked drama. And I was always best friends with people who were best friends with each other. I was the third person. And I look back at my life now and I go, I'm, those people are still best friends and still talk to each other on Facebook. And I'll try and contact them and things. But I'm just... I was never necessarily bullied. I just wasn't remembered. I was just isolated. I would have lots of groups of people who wouldn't mind me sitting with them, but wouldn't ask. And 
I remember, so in terms of mental health, I remember being very upset when sort of these people who I thought were my friends stopped being friends with me or something. I just remember being very upset in year six and not knowing why. Sort of going into secondary school without any really close friends. And um, gradually that started to heal a bit. And then, of course, I went, I moved into Brit. And so I had to find new people. And then when I was 16, my life kind of changed dramatically. So I, I consider myself a very different person now from the person I was at 16. In terms of gender, I've always been a tomboy, as it were, and I knew since sort of the age of six and being a male dinosaur in a play, I was like, I'm probably not. You know, and if I had words for it, I probably would have been non-binary and identified all that as, as earlier, but, you know, this was in the 90s. When I, when I was 16, my parents split up. I got diagnosed with celiac. I met my now wife, but I met the lady I fell in love with and who... I didn't think love me and we were together we broke up multiple times partly because of stuff going on with her partly because of stuff going on with me and a lot of external factors um, my grandmother passed away who was very close to my mum and basically my whole life car crashed I had always had an odd relationship with food um, I was vegetarian at the time and being celiac means I'm gluten intolerant so my diet just got cut down like all the corn all the stuff I had that was fake meat and things like that that I'd eaten so I lost a lot of weight very quickly I was very unwell repeatedly I was very depressed I was you know I went from being top of the school in maths to I think I got a d in the end at maths a level I was in a very gendered environment where I realized that I wasn't a good enough singer to get the kind of musical theatre roles I wanted and I wasn't a good enough dancer to do the ensemble um, and I didn't really know who I was or what I was doing and I can't remember a lot of that time or a lot of the time before it but in a sense I always say that uh, so my given name is Sarah it's not Robin uh, but I always say that that's kind of when Robin was was formed and the person I am now was when I was 16 and I have a lot I don't really have any ties with anything before that so mental health was I was in therapy and counselling for eating issues and I was in for general depression and anxiety, started taking medication um, and had a really dark time. Um, wasn't overly proud of the person I was, didn't know how to handle it. Uh, and then gradually I, through various means, started getting better, started improving. I still have a difficult relationship with food. I'm a fitness instructor and most if I'm not going to say all because that's not true but most fitness professionals have an odd relationship with food they're not all eating disordered but many have disordered eating mm. and that is a fact I'm sorry it's a fact in the industry and it's horrible but the other thing to consider mental health is that I'm a carer for my wife who has complex and enduring mental health issues that's her story to tell but she's been in and out of hospital so I've had a lot of contact with the mental health services especially in our area I know quite a lot about what to do in a crisis, about kind of how to handle myself and being a carer has its own problems and challenges and things like that. So, I mean, we've been in the point where we were both on benefits and I was just literally 24-7 watching her and that was my job and helping her to live. It's a lot better now and she's doing so well. I'm so proud of her. But mental health is a constant bedfellow of mine that I'm always trying to get through and there are better and worse points but more recently I've been looking, I mean, at mindfulness, things like that. And I'm a big advocate for doing a lot of, when I say self-exploration, I sound like I'm talking about something sexual. <laughs> I'm a big advocate for that too, but I'm a really big advocate of working out who you are and working out how to manage your life and how to be happy. Um, so much so I'm trying to do courses, I'm trying to write a book on it. Yay. Mm. For young actors, um, 
just did a course at the Actors Centre, what to do in the first year out of drama school, trying to get some more in, because looking after yourself and your mental health and well-being, I think, is so key to this profession and this industry, because it is, otherwise it'll eat you, it'll eat your life. And I think the reason a lot of people quit isn't necessarily because they're not good actors or because they don't have the chance to be great. I think it's the mental side of it. Mm-hmm. So you've worked in some fab productions and across TV since you left drama school. But um, often the first year out of drama school, the first couple of years out of drama school can be quite overwhelming. Uh, Is this something that you have found? And is there anything that you've done to combat it? I agree. I'm writing a book on it. Yay, let's make it happen. Um, So that that, that linked in well. So I was really fortunate. I did the Alan Bates Award um, and I got to the finals and I met the casting director of Casualty. So I left drama school and had a job on Casualty and it was the best thing ever. And then I didn't. And then I had nothing. And I had the dip a little later. So I say after drama school, there's always a dip because, and a dear friend of mine and I talk about it a lot. So my friend and I talk about how for some people, they go straight from school to secondary school to college and to drama school and then there is the abyss, this vastness of what to do next. There is no pre-prescribed, you know, you'll get this job and that'll lead you to this career and that'll go. Being an actor or being an, any any performer is this openness of possibility and it is a void. We talk about this void and it eats you this first couple of years because any email you send is to the void. Like you send a cast director email, void. Agent, void. Audition, that tape has gone to the void and there's nothing you can do about it and you feel so out of control. And it's not actually true. It's an illusion. You are totally in control. No one is forcing you to be an actor. No one's forcing you to do a day job. Hopefully no one's got a gun to your head and say, you know, work in a bar. You're choosing to do that because you're choosing to pay your rent because you're choosing to follow your dreams. Now, I have so much respect for anyone who chooses to follow their dreams, whether it's acting or accounting or being a vet or I don't know, whatever it is. So I found, and I still find, the first few years out of drama school hellish at points. Being an actor is the best and the worst job in the world because when you're working, and I maintain this sort of wonderment whenever I work, and I hope I never lose it, which is just sheer joy, even when you stood in the rain and, you know, you're you're taking, you're, you're in a shot and you know that, you're at the back of a shot and you're just standing there and you know they're going to call cut and there's someone's going to come over you with an umbrella and a coat and you but it's still the most exciting thing in the world because if I told younger me that I was doing that they would still think I, they would think I was the coolest person ever and remember that whenever you're doing a job whatever job it is remember that younger person is looking up at you with those big wide eyes and going wow you're an actor um because for the rest of the time you're working doing a job that you may not enjoy and it's crushing, but you don't have to do that job. They've been telling us to be, you know, work in a bar or work in a call centre, be a waiter. They've been telling us this since the 60s. world has moved on. You can do other things. I teach fitness because I'm passionate about trying to help change people's lives. And I worked in a call centre for six months. That's like, it's like dog years. I was there for like, it felt like I was there for a millennia, God. But I left because I was crying every day and my mental health wasn't worth it. And I retrained, uh, you know, six weeks PT course and have been learning ever since. I literally spend my life listening to podcasts and reading books to be a better trainer and things like that. And I get a lot from that. If you are somebody who has a skill, i.e. if you are somebody you, who, have, who exists, you have skills, 
especially if you're an actor, you've got soft skills, you can listen, you can manage, you can teach, you can do so many things. You could become a proofreader, you could do an OU course in accounting and become a part-time accountant. There is nothing stopping you doing that. If it's money, talk to equity, they have funds to help you do that. Or if you feel that you're able to manage your finances, try and get a loan, whether that's ideally from family or friends, if you're in a very privileged position. If you're not in such a privileged position, then do check out the charities that are available to you because a massive part of your first year out of drama school mental health is not the acting. Acting doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. The big part about identity is if you define yourself as an actor, what are you when you're not acting? And the answer will be depressed Mm -hmm. because you're like, but I'm not doing the thing I love to do. Love doing the life thing and the acting thing will come. You have to find something that makes you happy outside of acting because acting is a cruel, cruel business that will eat you up and spit you out if you're not careful. So my biggest tip for anyone who's, you know, first year out of drama school is A, come to my workshops, do the stuff that I'm trying to talk about because, you know, that'll take me hours, not just a brief podcast. But it is to consider your life outside of acting. What is the perfect day when you're not an actor? What are you doing and how did you get to doing that? Do you need to be time rich? Do you need to have a job that, like mine, it pays you good money for a couple of hours' work? It's intense and you need the qualifications to do it, but it it leaves you time rich. Or maybe you don't mind doing a nine-to-five because it's more structured. You have colleagues. Are you a nomadic person? Do you want to work from home? Do you want to work in an office? And don't judge the answer. If you have a job that makes you happy that isn't acting, you're not cheating on acting. You're not less of an actor. You're just a person who is living. And don't wait to act, to live, because life is too damn short. A friend of mine died when she was 17, a very dear friend of mine, who was brilliant and bright and had a great future. And she wasn't an actor, for thank fuck for her. She was, um, well, she did acting with me in, in youth theatre, and maybe she would have been, who knows. But I, I knew that day that life can be so short, and the experiences I've, I've had with mental health just shows me how delicate it is. We think we're invincible until the moment we're not. And I think even people who attempt suicide, they're there for different reasons and sometimes they don't even believe it'll work and sometimes they think it has to. But your life is a gift. Mm -hmm. So for God's sake, don't waste it depressed about not getting a phone call because it is too short for all the people who, who don't have that opportunity, for people who are in hospital right now, who are recovering, who've lost someone, for everyone who is currently in that process. Remember that, yes, your job may be horrendous. You may be in a pub. You may be doing something you hate. Get out of there, man. Do something that emboldens you, that makes you feel good, that lets you live the life you want to live. And then acting will come to that person because you won't be desperate in auditions, because you won't need that audition to live. You want it because you're an actor. Does that make sense? absolutely that was fantastic that's so eloquently put and just really completely true it's what we all try and tell ourselves um all the time that life is the most important thing and your happiness in that life is really really important um so sorry did you have something else to i was gonna say there's a fun exercise you can do which i can prove to you you can be happy right now because if i say to this podcast um check your phone because you're agent or you know spotlight just emailed you because you've got a job you know, you've just got a massive Netflix job. Everyone listening just went, oh, 
and you had a little jump in your heart and that jump in your heart exists whether that's true or not. That little jump in your heart exists whether or not you've got a job or whether you're seeing your family or if it's your birthday and that happiness can exist regardless of what a casting director tells you or regardless of whether or not you have an agent or a show or a job. I'm a complete hypocrite, of course I am, but this is how I try and live my life and a reminder that you have the capacity to feel anything and acting is not the way that you feel everything because otherwise you will go mad yeah madder yeah absolutely absolutely um so we spoke about this a little bit before um we came in to record about casting and being non-binary often um the way that castings are put out is very male and female um has this caused any any problems for you being non-binary and how do you think that we can kind of move forward to be a bit more inclusive with with our castings i I'm an absolute coward. I came out to my agent by just gradually changing my pronouns and just gradually being like, you know, I'm non-binary, right? Can you put me up for this? And uh, they, bless them, they're lovely and they've, they've, they got the message and that's fine. Uh, it's how I've come out to everyone. It's how I came out as not being straight was just, I remember watching a thing with my dad and me just turning me like, you know, I'm bisexual, right? He was like, hmm, that's exotic. And we never spoke of it since. <laughs> this is my wife. This is fine. Um, although I do have to repeatedly come out as bisexual. Because people are like, oh, yes, you're married to a woman. And I'm like, yeah, but men are great too. And I don't care what you got between your legs. That's not going to change how I feel about you. <laughs> and actually, the only person I'm currently wanting to be with is my wife, because she's the best person ever. And if you don't feel that about your partner, consider why. Because not only you, but they also deserve to feel like the best person in the world. Anyway, moving on. You asked me about casting, which is, you know, what we're talking about. So I go for mainly female roles because I am assigned female at birth, because I have not had top surgery and because I am in the very fortunate position of being an acceptable non-binary. What do I mean by that? I mean that when people think of non-binary, they think of somebody who's probably quite slender, probably pixie cut, maybe a little bit muscular if they're assigned female at birth, which people often think about. Um, they think about them being a bit small and not very imposing. The first thought non-binary often isn't a slightly chubby, tall, assigned male at birth guy with a deep voice and, you know, who likes to wear fabulous dresses. Thank you to Jonathan Van Ness for coming out as non-binary because he, they, I'm so sorry. You see, this happens. This happens all the time and it's fine because I hope that wherever they are, they know that I do not mean this maliciously. But even I do it. And that's the point, is that in the same way that I've spoken to friends um, from the BAME community, and in the same way, in many ways, the the problem we all have acting, which is that there is an idea of what a non-binary person or a black person or, you know, the girl next door, there is an idea of what they look like. And I am so fortunate, and partly deliberately, have made myself look unimposing. And for a cast narrator to go, oh yeah, they look non-binary. They look young and slightly troubled and have an undercut. And... So for me, I have sort of shaped slightly how I look upon what the expectations are of the industry. But I'm also very privileged that that is kind of how I like to look. That is who I am. And I, as I said, I've considered top surgery and part of me goes, well, it'll narrow your casting. And I really try to ignore that voice and go, well, what do I want? What does Robin want? And at the moment, I struggle with really bad chest dysphoria. I can't bind when I teach fitness because for, for breathing reasons. And if you are binding when you're doing fitness, please be careful. It, it's really, sorry, I'm, I'm struggling to kind of find the words for this because when I get a non-binary casting role through, everything in me goes, yes, 
Finally, and often because it is a non-binary role, they've thought more about it. It's more layered. It's fantastic. Sometimes it's let's kill the non-binary person, like let's kill the lesbians or let's kill the black person. And you're like, yay, kill the minority. Obviously not. But sometimes that happens. But a lot of the time, these characters are wonderful. And it's harder because it makes you want it even more. And it's rarer. Like, if I didn't go for assigned female at birth characters, I really wouldn't... I would have one, two auditions a year. And that's hard. And actually, if I've... If a character comes up, the point is I'm not binary. So if a character comes up within the gender binary, of course I can play it. Because, you know, I've, I've spent three years at drama school teaching, being taught how to be a woman. I'm still very bad at it, but, you know, I can do it. But actually being a man comes a lot more naturally. And if I look at something like, I don't know, Keats as a person, I feel like I could play Keats or I feel like I could play... Um, sorry, I was just thinking of Richard II and then I was like, can I just go through Ben Whishaw's back catalogue as well? Is that who we're going through now? But Or like a sort of... There are men who are softer, who are gentler, who speak to this Russian concept of soul, this idea of, I say Russian from Stanislavski and all of that jazz, this idea of the very being, core of your being. Because I, I like to say there's the core of you. And for me, I've got that very strong. I've always known who I am. Mm-hmm. Better or worse, I've, I've never been able to hide that. Yeah. So when that is able to be shown outwardly, and that's what a casting director sees, when those three things align, you're perfect for that role. The problems when someone inside feels different and then they try and make themselves look different because they think that's what the casting director wants, the casting director sees something else, and that's when you're going up for roles that don't suit you. Yeah. So I think it's hard because you have to cast on something. And often when there are so many people involved in the casting process, not just the CD, but, you know, the producers, you know, if, if it's a big show, you've got hundreds of people looking at you and going, is that right? with lots of different ideas. So someone has to turn around somewhere and go, actually, this is a cisgendered woman, and there's no reason I couldn't play a cisgendered woman in the same way there's no reason other people couldn't play them. I would struggle to play a mother because I never want children and I feel very weird about the idea that I could biologically have them. I would also struggle to play, um, you know, an old, hardened war general. Like Coriolanus, I'd really struggle with playing him because it's so, so far from me. But it makes me laugh that I'm cast as sort of Puck or Ariel, love those roles, never going to say no. But people are more inclined to believe me as a magical pixie sprite than they are to believe me as male. And I'm like, actually, my truth and my history would allow me to find the universal things within those roles. But we as an industry get lazy and we say, well, we know what a lawyer looks like. They look like this. The problem comes in when we say we know what a lawyer looks like and it doesn't look like a woman or it doesn't look like a black person. Oh, God, it doesn't look like a black woman then either you go, well, we should make it look like this, and then people go, well, it's not representative of society, and it's confusing, because then you're like, well, no, but we are trying to be aspirational, and we're trying to encourage society to change. Or if it is representative of society, people are like, no, it isn't. Well, it is, because if the office was actually representative, they'd mostly be women. If casualty was representative in London, they'd mostly be BAME. Like, you have to consider location and things like that. So I'm not really coming up with, with answers here, because if I had them, I'd... I'd give them. But in terms of the very... You asked me specifically about non-binary casting. Ask yourself about a role. Non, being non-binary can very much impact a role because it is a selection of experiences. But ask yourself, does the actor... The actor isn't... The gender of the actor isn't always the gender of the role. And if you've cast a non-binary person in a cisgendered female role, that is something we can play. That exists within us. Just consider the actor as you have them before you and this is something I think is true for anyone is consider the vibe you get from the actor consider that actor's background in things other than gender so do consider are they working class have they had that experience consider their accent consider their you know very unique set of experiences and 
look at an actor less in... We just have to be less lazy. We have to consider all the facets of a a person, gender being part of that, but not the whole of that. Mm -hmm. I understand that commercial castings may not do that, and they say we want a six-foot-one guy with ginger hair and he needs to look a little bit like Prince Harry because everything's in at the moment, you know. (laughs) And you go, well, okay, that's what they feel they need. But how boring is that? Mm -hmm. What boring world we live in if that's every casting. So obviously with that discussion that we just had on uh, casting, it's really important that there is more diversity and there is more representation. And that also uh, comes down to stories as well that are being told. Why, for you and just in general, do you think it's important that um, the stories of trans and non-binary people are told within theatre and across TV and film and just in general in the media? Partly because we exist and partly because it increases our humanity in the eyes of others. There is a very big discussion that happens in a lot of places about trans people, or even when they're involved, it is often a cisgendered person talking to a trans person and the cisgendered person will say, your existence makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable because I believe in the gender binary, it's a massive part of my identity, and if you don't have that, what am I? It's more reflective of the person often arguing than... than the existence of trans people but when you can show stories not just about trans stories but actors trans actors or non-binary actors if you put them into stories and people can see that we exist as really just as human beings we live we laugh we love we do all of that we you know I tweeted recently just mentioned I did a tweet which is just we're really, we're really quite boring I forget a lot of the time my life isn't I am NB and I will do this like when if any of you played Sims you can pick a character trait which is evil and everything that character did was like take an evil shower I don't take an NB shower we don't do that we just take a shower and I, I've admitted that there have been points where if I don't interact, if you if you live in a place unlike London, which is lovely and multicultural, if you live in a you know small village somewhere and you don't see people who are BAME or who are trans or who have disabilities, it's easy to almost forget their existence and to distance yourself, to say they are other. You know, in the Brexit debacle that existed and still exists, places with the least immigration voted most to stop immigration because they haven't met these people. And when we see them on our screens in popular TV or when we see them on on stage or in in radio, we we suddenly go, oh, yes, this is a person I've connected to. This is a person who fills that role in my life who reminds me that these are just normal people. I said I had this... I had this like with Game of Thrones when I first saw Peter Dinklage playing Tyrion. But I remember watching it and going, I had never seen someone with dwarfism in that kind of a role where they were not perfect, actually. He's very, he's got lots of problems going on. But I suddenly went, of course, people with dwarfism can do that. Of course they can. And it's just that in my life, I hadn't met people with dwarfism or who, who had a disability or, and all these things. And you go, I almost want to give people the benefit of the doubt that the problem with so much of us isn't, violence or maliciousness or anger it's actually fear of the unknown and it's about being if you feel frightened or if you don't feel loved and safe that's when people get violent towards others that's when you know the politicians who may not be great running the country will turn around and say oh but they're others 
And it's so much harder to believe that when you're like, oh, but my niece is gay. Or, oh, but yeah, my, my nephew's got, you know, my, my nephew's in a wheelchair and actually I don't think this. And you suddenly go, now it's part of your life. So tell our stories so you can know we are a reflection of this society. And we increase empathy overall. And so that the small person sat in primary school, not understanding quite why they're so angry about having to wear a dress, can go, oh, there's someone out there like me. Because mm-hmm. I needed that. I want to be in non-binary roles, not just for adults and troubled teens. I want to be a non-binary character in a kid's show that a kid can watch and go, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah, that person's got two mummies. Oh, yeah, that person looks like me. It's so important to see ourselves reflected because then you don't grow up feeling like a freak and feeling wrong or weird. You know that actually you're okay and there's a community out there, especially the trans and envy community, that is so full of love and is so ready to love you. So if you're somebody listening to this going, maybe that's me, please know your family is there and we are waiting to meet you. Like message me, drop me a DM on Twitter or anyone that you feel like yes, there is going to be infighting because every family has infighting and we are a family. But just know, if you feel alone, you're not. And when you meet them, it's just going to click and you're going to feel safe and it's going to feel right and you need to see that community reflected on screen and on stage because otherwise, how are you going to know it exists? Amazing. I feel like you should be Prime Minister or something. (laughs) You speak very, very well. Um, So what do you do to look after your mental health in this strange strange world that we live in every morning i get up and i make sure i take at least three deep breaths before i look at my phone on an ideal world i get up i roll out my yoga mat i do 10 to 20 minutes of yoga and i meditate for 10 minutes and i also take medication um (laughs) but i do I i take medication and have done for many years because i have a serotonin imbalance so what do i do for my mental health I don't really drink much. I don't take any illegal drugs, never have. And maybe, maybe I will, but I'm, you know, not intending to anytime soon. Uh, I eat vegetables and I sleep well. Your sleep is so important. Please try and get, if you're not somebody who regularly gets seven to nine hours of sleep, just try it for a week and you will be amazed at the difference. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a lot of caffeine. I, so I'm a big believer in habit and lifestyle change. When I work as a personal trainer and my clients, what I do is I'm not going to give you a meal meal plan or macros I am going to hopefully help you build a healthy habit and for me my healthy habit is the yoga that lets me sort of get into my body and out of my head and then the meditation that I used headspace for ages and I developed some techniques and it lets me add that stop that gap between my thoughts and me you are not your thoughts you are the person who watches them I explain it as for actors imagine you're watching a show on stage and the actors on stage are your thoughts you're the director No one wants a director to get on stage. Mm -hmm. Sit and watch them when you're meditating. And if you do get on stage, if you find yourself playing with the actors, just get get out of it. Get out, watch, let them do it. Don't judge them. Even if those actors are shit, even if your thoughts are rubbish, don't judge them because they're doing their best. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's just an off day. And so remember that separation, that gap, and that's what meditation lets me do. It reminds me that my thoughts are not I am not my thoughts and if a thought comes in that is challenging for me that is my reaction to that thought all your feelings are just reactions to your thoughts and that's how your brain works you have been programmed from a young age to think and feel certain ways that's what society does you don't have to accept that programming you can look at new ways so I listen to a podcast called the life coach school podcast shout out for that it's a fantastic podcast it's very American 
I say that because anyone who li- English listening might have that <laughs> reaction of just, oh God, it's very American. But actually the lady who does it is fantastic and it, it goes through a lot of this. I have read a lot of things like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, Power of Habit. I continually try for self-improvement. Uh, I, like I say, I listen to podcasts that focus on mindfulness. I do a lot is the answer to that question yeah. because I'm somebody who struggles with it and who wants to now pass on the things I do. If you're somebody who thinks you benefit from meditation and you want to work it into your day, find a habit you already do and add it on. So if you're somebody who wakes up, turns the kettle on, before you turn the kettle on, three deep breaths. Because on, even on my worst day, when I'm super busy, I can do three deep breaths mm. and I can succeed. I've started my day with success. I write a gratitude list every morning. There's a notepad next to my bed and I write 12 things I'm grateful for. And some days it's, I'm grateful for my youth, my health, clean running water. I'm grateful for my partner, my cats. I'm grateful for sleep. I'm grateful for my agent. I'm grateful for these things. I'm grateful that I can walk. It doesn't have to be massive things. Mm-hmm. Just remind yourself of all the things you're grateful for in your life because it will really help ground you for the rest of the day. Um, and then just don't neglect your physical health because mm-hmm. so many people, your hormones have a lot to answer for, especially your, I'm a little bit obsessed with the microbiome. Won't go into that now. But mm-hmm. um, your serotonin, a lot of it's produced in your gut. And if you're somebody who is living on takeaways or things that are not serving you, you're not going to be feeling good. So go for the low-hanging fruit first. Go for the easy stuff. So go for things like trying to improve your sleep, trying to drink enough water. Enough water is anywhere sort of a couple of litres a day. You don't have to start drinking that much. Just start with a glass of water at each meal or whatever. And then if when you've taken all that low-hanging fruit and you're still not feeling better that's when you consider things that are more intense. So maybe doing some self-exploration work, like I've suggested, listen to these podcasts, read these books. If you can't do it then, reach out. Reach out to Industry Minds, get your counselling. Equity have just launched 24-7 Helpline. They've just launched a load of stuff. Go for them. Low-cost local counselling, go talk to your GP. Or if you can afford it, if you have private healthcare, go private. There are so many things you can do and it is hard to access those services, but they exist and there are wonderful places like Industry Minds that are there to help you access services. So if once you've started doing the things that you can control, if you can't then control your mental health and the way it's going, seek help because that is the strongest thing you can do. The weakest thing you can do is run away from it. And you know, that's fair. Some days we have those days. But if you really care and you do, you love yourself. If you love someone, you don't just let them lie in bed all day. You try and help them get up. And if you are able to do that for yourself, and if you're not even able to do it for yourself, and there have been times I can't, ask the people who love you to make those appointments. Say, I'm not able to make that therapy appointment. Could you please make that phone call for me? And there will be people out there who'll do it. God knows if you're unable to make that phone call, I keep saying message me, but like, I'm sure if you message the people around you and say, could you make that call or do that email, they'll do it and they will take you with that right next step. Yeah. So that's what I do. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So... You have been a part and are a part of Trans Voices Company, also Trans Voices uh, Cabaret, which features a cast of exclusively trans, non-binary or gender non-conforming performers. For those who haven't heard of it, what does TVC do and why is it so important? So TVC started in America and uh, it was a cabaret night with trans non-binary performers and it was brought over here by some wonderful people. Look at look up Harrison Knights. He's a babe and I love him very much. And also uh, Misha Butler and various other people who are all part of uh, the producers of TVC. They do a cabaret night 
which is at the other palace. It's every couple of months, um, and it is a chance for non-binary performers to sing. I've talked earlier that I was in musical theatre, and I started getting so upset because the songs I wanted to sing weren't girls' songs. They were men's songs. And even in the tenor range, I've got a low range. I've got a low voice, and I could sing them, but I wasn't allowed. And I was told, but there are so many great songs for women. And I'm like, but they're not the songs that I want to sing. They're not the songs that come from me. And if they are, I can't sing them because Adina Mazzan belt's too high. <laughs> I'll stop mentioning her at some point, but go and see Frozen 2. It's great. <laughs> so TVC lets you sing the songs you've always wanted to sing. So if you are a trans MB performer who sings, please come along, be a part of that. If you're not, come along and support us because we can do it. There was a lot of... So when the, T, the Trans Voices Company is a company of trans MB actors and it's fairly newly formed... And we wanted to put a show on. We wanted to put on a show that will remain nameless because we approached them for rights. And they said, yeah, but can they act though? Or is it just, you know, is it a uh, token, you know, you're sort of doing it for... And it was like, well, yes, we can act. <laughs> and ideally, we'll be doing a show where actually it's a mixed company of trans and cisgender performers in, you know, in the very long run because we can go, we can play things. We play anyone. Let us play and just accept us as we are and don't think of us as these sort of weird, you know, other wild cards that you send to an audition. I walk into an audition, I see people who are BAME, I see people who look completely different from me, taller, shorter, and I'm like, wow, the casting director doesn't know what they want, so they just said anyone. And that's okay, it's great, I make friends with these people, but I always make friends with people at auditions, by the way, because that way, if you don't get it, you know that the person who did is your friend and you can be happy for them, even though you're still secretly very jealous. But that jealousy and that pain can fade slightly because then you're happy that your friend got it. I really recommend that. So, yeah, TVC. So in the end, we put on a show uh, of an adaptation of Tom Brown's School Days and we had a lot of excited people come to see it. In an ideal world, we'll continue making work, maybe with the actors that are there or maybe with different actors, new actors, but all trans or non-binary or gender non-conforming. The reason it is important that it exists is, like I say, to prove that rights person wrong, that yes, we can act, we are great actors, actually, um, we can make great work, and it is exciting, isn't it? Isn't that exciting, the fact that this hasn't been done before? Like, trans people have existed for ever and yet there isn't a company for them, and this is a space, this is a safe space for you to be you, and for for people who have never been able to sing their songs and speak their words, I can go on stage and play a guy and no one thinks it's weird. And I haven't been able to do that since I was seven in youth theatre because there's too many, you know, girls, so I got to play... I was playing men throughout my life. I got very confused when I started being asked to play women. I was like, what? When did this rubbish happen? Why do I have to be the romantic? No! I want to go and fight, sword fight, and do all the fun stuff I was doing earlier, and now you're suddenly telling me... And that's another problem because the industry has many problems. But... It is important because it expands the idea of what trans people can do and it shows you we can pretty much do anything and it's also very safe. So it is important to have spaces like this that exist so that people who are trans or non-binary or non-conforming can go there and know that it's really normal when you say, I'm having my goddamn period and I feel really, really, really rubbish about my body right now because I can't believe I have a womb. And people are like, ah. Oh we get you man it's fine I'm like I know right and my binder hurts and my like chest is currently big and they're all like it's okay and they can you can talk about you know tea shots and you can talk about things like that and I want to point out so the TVC company that we did was also trans mask so something that's quite important at the moment is that a lot of it's it is perceived that many of the trans stories being told are trans feminine now whether or not that's 
something that other people have found in their perception is is another talk for another day but the trans mask and trans men often are sort of out of the spotlight often they're just considered butch dykes horrible word but you know that's come across or they're not thought of as men or leading man material partly because sometimes they're smaller you know what that's good because you don't want to be too tall in musical theater or you know too short or too anything because that's musical theater anyway um so it's important that actually trans mask stories are told and we all have very different experiences of what that means but we see the rise of drag and we see the rise of drag queens and thank you to all of the wonderful work that's being done there and people are getting more of an idea of what that means but I think partly because a lot of trans men pass and obviously that's not a it's not an indicative of you, you know, your worth as a person, your ability to pass. But a lot of trans men almost pass and pass under the radar um, in such a way that they're ignored. Mm-hmm. And this TVC is going, don't ignore us. We're fantastic. Come and see us and let us be actors. So that's really what we're doing. Yeah, amazing. Just before I get on to our final question, um, for anyone out there who is struggling with their gender identity, um, is there any support that you know of that people could go to to discuss, really? So um, the Mermaids Charity is a charity that you can look to, or Gendered Intelligence, or to be honest, I've really found, and this is probably not the best thing, but social media to be a very helpful place. There are places, on, there are groups on Facebook, on Twitter, that you can connect with people, especially if you are not out and if you are needing somebody to talk to. That can be a really helpful environment. As always, normal disclaimer for social media, please be careful of who you're talking to, please never meet up with someone, all of this normal stuff that they told us when we were little. They told us, you know, don't get into cars with strange men you meet over the internet and now we have uber now we pay people to do that but um but on a on a serious level that's how i found you can talk to your gp there are services available as somebody who hasn't gone down that more formal route i'm not the best person to talk to about that but i would say mermaids is a good bet even stonewall general lgbtq charities uh they won't necessarily have a you know things like the switchboard things like that may not be the best place but they will probably have more information and places they can send you because it's dependent a little bit on your local services which is dependent on the area you live in london Mm -hmm. so and i know people and especially if you're an actor and if you haven't really you know you're not settling down yet sometimes it's worth looking where are you going to live in london look at where's got the good health care the good mental health care i live in wandsworth it's not bad just saying just saying we've got springfield it's not bad just saying Shout out to Wandsworth. Um, amazing. So finally, Robin, could you walk into a room today and say, I'm having a bad mental health day? Depends on who else is in the room. I very regularly do so if it's my wife and cats. Uh, yeah, I will walk in and go, I'm having a bad mental health day. I don't, could I do it in an audition? No. Could I do it in a place where I felt that I was lower down the ladder? Probably not. And that's not great. Do I feel like I could call up work in the same way if I say I'm having a bad mental health day? Do I feel like I could do that in the same way I call up and say I've got cold? No, I don't, not yet. But you know what I can do? I can call up and say my wife's ill and this is where I'm being. So when it's for somebody else, ironically, mm-hmm. I'm more able to. Mental health is anomalous as well because for some people a bad mental health day means I'm just struggling and I need some support. For some people it's I'm in bed and I'm not moving. So... Amongst my friends, I absolutely can turn around and say that because they will respond with same. Uh, no, God, that was a dark joke. Um, gallows humour. My apologies, but it depends on who's in the room. Can you? 
Can I? Um, no one's ever asked me that back, I don't think. Or maybe they have. We've done so many interviews now. Um, could I? Some rooms, yeah. So, and maybe, and not those exact words. We use that as a very generalised term of, I'm not feeling great today. If someone asked me how I was feeling, I'd be happy to be like, you know what, I'm having a bit of a bad day. I think that's kind of where, where I'm at. Yeah. If you're asking me about oversharing, that's perpetual. I mean, I just sat on a podcast and, you know, <laughs> just, I've just done it for everyone listening. But no, I tend to overshare. I tend to, um, often when you make yourself more vulnerable, it makes other people in the room feel able to be vulnerable. But as long as you don't make it about you. And it's that thing of give yourself, but only as much of yourself as you are able to give healthily. And I found the more I'm able to give others, the more I get back. And that's come from a lot of personal development work and from a place of more stability. But you'll be, I think it's really interesting to see that when you allow yourself to be vulnerable and when you allow yourself to give things like your time or your humor or even skills, if you're somebody who's, you know, I give free personal training and the things I get back, I'd never expect. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's active skills, sometimes it's offers to do things and sometimes it's just a new friend. And it's easy in acting to think everything has to be for a purpose and in capitalism to think everything has to be for a purpose or for mm. a financial gain. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. Sometimes what you're giving and what you're getting back is, is a new friend or is just a nice afternoon or is more than your wildest dreams could ever know because maybe that person you offered to help PT is secretly a casting director and you've just got a job. Like, don't think of it that way, but you'll be amazed what you get back when you give because it... Like I said, I can't always do things for myself, but if I do it for my partner, you get the uh, parent-friend instinct activate mm. and you go, maybe I have to be well to look after her. And sometimes, it's not a great way of thinking about it, but sometimes if you've got a pet, who's going to feed that pet if you're not well? Mm. Who's going to look after your best friend? You know, you, you are a person who has value, who looks after, who has value beyond just you. So if you're really feeling that need to... Maybe if you're not feeling like somebody worth being, remember you're somebody, you are somebody worth being to someone. Yeah. That was lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Robin. That was amazing. Such a great interview. Just to finish, we always do a game of finish the sentence. So it's another quick fire. So uh, they're very random, by the way. In the summer, my favorite cool drink is? Diet Sprite. Ooh. No, Diet 7-Up. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> A book I would recommend to everyone is... Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. My ideal holiday destination would be... I loved going to Nepal, mm. but if I had to go somewhere new, I think I'd like to go to the Caribbean. Lovely. My dead or alive party guest would be... Ah! Uh, oh, part of me just wants to say Stephen Fry. Yeah. But then I'm like, oh, I've got all of history to choose from. And I'm like, no, it's probably still Stephen Fry. I mean, Stephen Pry knows most of history anyway, yeah, so... Yeah, ask him. <laughs> exactly. Um, mental health to me is... An ongoing journey. Everyone should be more... Open, forgiving and loving. Diversity is important because... The world is diverse. And finally, in the future, I would like to... Get more acting jobs? Uh, <laughs> in the future, I would like to become the absolute best version of myself so that when I look back I don't regret anything and I'm sure you will be Robin thank you so so much thank you so much for listening to this episode of Industry Minds 
If you're interested in our counselling services, please email mary at industryminds.co.uk. For all other inquiries, please email info at industryminds.co.uk. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media at industryminds.uk. You can find out about all our future guests and our future events on there. Bye. Bye. See you later.